0: this is Green and Gold History. 50 plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters.
1: This is A's Baseball.
0: This is Green and Gold History.
1: This episode of Green and Gold History is presented by New Era. New Era Cap is proud to be the official cap of your Oakland Athletics. Next time you visit the Coliseum, be sure to drop by the New Era Cap Stand and pick up your A's New Era Authentic Collection Cap. Remember, you can always visit us at NewEraCap.com to shop our latest selection, including our limited edition and exclusive drops. New Era Cap, the official on-field cap of Major League Baseball. Time is winding down in our memories with Vuce. We're getting to the final few episodes. This is number 15 with Steve Vucinich, the A's longtime equipment manager and future A's Hall of Famer. He'll be going in with the class of 2022. As we celebrate his 54 years with the organization and and Vuce when we last left at the bumpy ride into uh, Chicago at midseason of 2011 when Bob Melvin takes over for the club and finishes out that year and then 2012 begins and as it turns out it starts a pretty impressive run of baseball for the A's. Can you recall what the mood was like and what Bob Melvin was putting together, you know, looking at the way he managed and just the team was responding to him at the end of 11 as was getting ready for spring training 2012?
0: Well, we thought we had a nucleus of a pretty decent ball club in 2011. It's just for them to come to fruition, which they did in 12, but starting in spring training, uh, Bob interacts with everybody pretty well, if only for 30 seconds here, 45 seconds there. But he makes it a point of talking to everybody almost every day if he can. And uh, so it was a different uh, thought process going in there. Um, I had a few different coaches, some guys that were gung-ho coaches, like Chip Hale. And uh, so it, it, it was a change from the year before in spring training and a couple years before. I had no disrespect to that, to that uh, group of coaches and manager, but uh, Bob brought a different uh, look, and uh, players were happy about it.
1: When you think about the A's and all the conversation over the years, going back to even to Charlie Finley about not keeping star players and trading them away. And it started, you know, almost with the inception when the team got here in 1968. And suddenly it's spring training 2012 and a lot of conversation about this Cuban star, this YouTube star, if you will, with those workouts that everybody saw on the Internet by the name of Uena Cespedes. How did it come come about that Uena Cespedes became at Oakland A really shocking the baseball world? It did. It, uh, uh, our
0: scouts were on top of it. Uh, they knew what it had to do to, to get Jonas in. It's funny. I was talking to some other equipment manager at the time on the phone and this is from Arizona, but before spring training and they said, Hey, you guys sign, just signed some Cuban outfielder to a big contract, four years and $32 million. And I said, no, it couldn't be us. We're not spending that much money for somebody that's unproven. Jonas comes into camp looking pretty good an awesome body. And uh, his first day, they didn't know if they were going to start him in AAA or whatever. Uh, but uh, we went to Japan. He had a home run there. And, uh, and he um, solidified the outfield. And he's a pretty good hitter, uh, good power, and one of the best arms in baseball.
1: How much do you think the Japan trip for the A's, and it was the second time they had done it, they did it in 08, uh, playing with the Boston Red Sox. This time it was against uh, Seattle. The bonding of that, of, of that experience the long flights there and back and spending all the time together with families, uh, kind of mid-spring training, a different time to start the season. But how do you think that helped maybe lay the foundation for that year?
0: Well, it had to help. Uh, We go over there, and it's the end of spring training. We play a couple exhibition games against two different Japanese teams. Then we open up with the two games of Seattle. Then we come back, and we take a day and a half, two days off uh, because of the cost of the international time zone, and your bodies are giving it up, and we had a couple more exhibition games with the Giants. So we had a time to reflect. I'll never forget, as a kid, about 64 or 65, the Giants took a trip to Japan and played over there, and they never recovered. They got a, a bad start. Well, they didn't have Major League Baseball and an international group looking out for them, making sure that they had a uh, timely schedule as far as arrival, time off to, to recoup with the time change. And then played whatever games we had and and exhibition included, as I said, and then come back and have a few more days off and regroup and still be playing exhibition games. Kind of weird to play two regular season games and then uh, come back and play exhibition games. My mantra in all the first three trips, of which we screwed it up on the third one, was you don't want to go and O and 2 over there because you'll be... looking at the bottom of the standings for about a week before everybody else starts the season. So uh, that did happen. We split the first two times over there. But I think it's a good trip, a good bonding trip uh, for guys maybe not knowing each other that well, new players in the
1: club. How much do you think Yuanis how long did it take him to kind of integrate himself with this club? A guy from Cuba, he was certainly a superstar in his own right uh, in the Cuban leagues. Uh, but coming over here, an unknown, but like you mentioned, a tremendous physical prospect with great physical tools, but just the, the day-to-day banter of what makes the Oakland Clubhouse so special. How did he mix in?
0: You know what, the best thing they did, they brought in Ariel Prieto, one of our former pitchers uh, from Cuba, who had been working in our minor league system, helping especially the Latin players. But they brought him in as not so much a mentor, but also a uh, an interpreter, and to help him adjust to things, help him adjust to America, to restaurants, to food, to menus to uh how to t- talk to people treat people and Jonas always had a smile on his face and and uh, so I think that kind of helped him ingratiate himself to other teammates but uh, Ariel was a calming influence not that he needed calming but he was the perfect person at the time and uh, he lived with Jonas and uh, here in the Bay area and, and helped him guide him around and teach him different things and that was so important to uh, Jonas to be fit in as a teammate and
1: uh, ariel did a great job we talk about a superstar from cuba and then at some point during the season there's a kid from petaluma who grew up watching the age by the name of johnny gomes who just steps right in and he's kind of like the good luck charm if you will wherever he was it seemed like teams had winning seasons had success and even got to the postseason he had a way about himself of really kind of galvanizing the clubhouse uh, getting everybody to to kind of be in lockstep how much fun was johnny gomes to have around
0: he was fun. In fact, my first meeting with him was a fan fest in the Coliseum Arena, and he comes in with a spiked hairdo, multicolored, kind of a peacock look. And I go, what are we getting ourselves into? And I looked up, and he had you know, a few years in the big leagues and successful years. And as you get to know him, he's a real gamer. He doesn't take crap from anybody. He wants to play, and he wants to win every game, even in the spring training very serious. He was, a, he was a good workout partner for a few of the guys. There was talk about steroids in baseball, and he was talk, showing everybody it was all pure muscle, and he could, they could watch him work out. And he was kind of a leader. It was, it was kind of neat. Uh, when we got to the point where we ended up clinching, he kind of took over, hey, let's do a picture, let's go out of field, let's take care of the fans. So, uh, And that comes from him winning in previous years, and so we didn't have that many guys who had been through postseason before.
1: Josh Donaldson was a guy the A's had acquired from the Cubs. He was a catcher and a part-time third baseman. Came out of Auburn University and caught Gio Gonzalez, I think, in 2010 when he made his debut in Toronto. And all of a sudden, Scott Sizemore, who had a nice second-half season for the A's in 2011, blows out his knee the first day of spring training in 2012. And suddenly they throw J.D. over there to start taking ground balls on a full-time basis uh, to become a third baseman. And as it turns out, a pretty good one over time. That process was uh, interesting to watch. And as you look back on 12, probably a pretty important key to the success for the club.
0: Well, seeing how Sizemore came over and had success the previous years, you said we were counting on him to be an everyday player, third baseman. And then he blows out and God, what are we going to do now? And I don't know whose decision it was. I mean, credit them, whoever it was. So let's try JD over there. They knew he was a great athlete. Great athletes can adjust. And uh, as long as he wasn't left-handed, he's was going to be a good, pretty good third baseman. And uh, so J.D. went over there. He proved his worth, and he had a good year
1: playing every day. You know, all the years of great pitching for the athletics, you think back to the 70s with Catfish and, and Vida and Blue Moon and Kenny Holtzman and then moving into the big three that we've talked about with Hudson Mulder and Zito. And then there was uh, Danny Heron and Rich Harden and, and others. And then suddenly there was this group of arms. Uh, you know, Brett Anderson, Vin Mazzaro, and Trevor Cahill were going to be like the next group. Vin got a little taste with the A's, moved on to other clubs. Uh, Trevor bounced around and had a lot of success early with the A's, signed a big contract and moved on, and Brett Anderson kept on coming back and doing things. Didn't quite have the same collection, but suddenly 2012, you know, with Cahill gone, Anderson's still around. A guy named Jared Parker, who the A's got from Arizona, and a kid named A.J. Griffin, who we didn't know a whole lot about, just kind of stepped in and really got some big wins for the A's, had some big starts during that season. What do you call, recall about that collection of pitchers uh, for a franchise that is known for great pitching.
0: Well, like Tom Hanks said, it's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. So, uh, we didn't know what to expect out of him. I mean, we knew some guys had some great talent. AJ was phenomenal down the stretch. Uh, Mazzaro stepped in and had some good games, but, uh, Brett Anderson stepped up too. uh, the, the, I won't say the surprise because I was told by the Arizona people when I saw him during the winter that, um, Jared Parker was going to be a good pitcher, and he'd already had one Tommy John surgery, and but he was healthy, and he pitched uh, well for us. He was a uh, kind of a, a leader of the pitching staff because we we're all so young, and he didn't have much more time than anybody else, but he kind of acted like the veteran.
1: Thirteen games back on June 30th of the 2012 season, and we we know the story how it the great second half run, which is. Uh, something that you think about often when you talk about the history of this A's franchise here in Oakland. How did that come about? What What did you see day by day as this team was suddenly, you know, believing and winning some games? They sweep, sweep a big series against the Yankees late in July, and next thing you know, uh, there's a chance maybe that something special might happen.
0: Well, I think it's all the maturation of the pitching staff, uh, Josh Donaldson over at third base. Everybody was getting better, and that was the whole thing. When you get better, you start winning more games. Mm-hmm. that's what we did, and and overcome a a 13-and-a-half-game lead. And not really even thinking about it at the time. Sure, you'd like to say, hey, we can make up these 13-and-a-half games. We've got 12 or 14 weeks. You do pick up one game a week. That mathematics never works out. Hmm. But anyway, um, uh, just so we kept getting closer and closer and closer, and to set it up for that final month, we made that final run.
1: What was that last week like? The A's knew it was in front of them. They're down by five with nine to play, and then you – have a chance to to finish at home, and you know what you have to do, and just watching that series against Seattle and then having the Rangers come in behind that. You know, the team had, what, 14 walk-offs that year. It just seemed like every other night there was Josh Reddick running out with a with a pie for somebody for the television interview after the game. Uh, those were such emotional nights that the A's kept on rising up again and again. What was it like being on that roller coaster? It was a lot
0: of fun. Uh, when we come down uh, last week against Seattle and Texas, and then we, we beat Texas on Monday night after sweeping Seattle, um, and that clinched the playoff spot, so it was a celebration. But the fact is, we went in and beat them Tuesday and Wednesday to win in division, and that was even more, not so much unusual, but more uh, satisfying. And uh, to say, and this is amazing, I don't know if this has ever been done before or since, that the only day we were in first place all year was after the season was over, that last day. But to win that game, we were down 5 nothing and uh, Hamilton muffs that pop-up. I think A.J. Griffin started that game, and he was out before he gave up too many more runs. And to come back and win that, you talk about a celebration, that was something special.
1: You want to suspect us was at the plate when Hamilton drops the ball. Do you recall where you were at that time? I was in my clubhouse and just said, Oh, my God. <laughs> and... uh it, uh,
0: I mean, it was like, and I. You a could feel the
1: place shake. I would imagine.
0: I, absolutely, it was packed, and then the camera went on Ron Washington and to see his reaction in the in the thir- first base dugout uh, was priceless, and we all loved Ron. And they'd been to World Series of two years before, so that added a little something too. I mean, not only did they win a division, they went all the way, and, and twice they were a strike away from winning the whole thing. So, but man, that was such a fun day. It was a Wednesday afternoon. I'll never forget it, and. Uh, Of course, I got to the ballpark about 7 a.m. that day, and I don't think I left until about 11 o'clock at night. It was so much fun.
1: And then you get the series against the Detroit Tigers. The A's had the better record, and you have the home field advantage, except it starts with two in Detroit, and then, if necessary, the three home field advantage games are going to be here at the Coliseum. Uh, The A's lost the first two, then came home and uh, made it a series, uh, quite a five-game series against the Tigers.
0: Yeah, that was that was the year I think they flipped it. It should have been 2-2-1, two, two, but uh, uh, that was a fun series. Uh, the Tigers had more veterans than us, and they had a little bit better pitching, and and proved that they went on and beat us. But uh, some of those games were classic
1: in that series. Especially game four, with the A's scoring three runs in the bottom of the ninth, and Coco drives in the run, bringing Seth Smith home. And there was this constant understanding inside this A's clubhouse you know, another A, another walk off, and B, just it was never over till we decided it was going to be over. Meaning inside the A's clubhouse, it seemed like it was the perfect script until you had to face Justin Verlander in that last day.
0: That's true. I'll never forget though happening is to be out in the hallway by the elevator to meet somebody who was coming down, and the game had just ended, and I saw the Detroit clubhouse people having to throw out all the plastic, pull the champagne out the back hallway. And had to strip the clubhouse clear because they were expecting a big celebration. Why wouldn't you? Had a three-run lead going in the bottom of the ninth, but it was a pretty good comeback by us. And and Coco's big hit, votes hit, uh, Donaldson had a big hit. Um, that was a
1: special comeback game right there. So 2013 rolls around, and I it seems like now the A's—they're a very good club. They're a very confident team, and you've got a manager who who certainly has his finger on the pulse of the team, and Bob Melvin. The club wins 96 games. I mean, they're favored to win the West, and the team wins the West. And during the course of that season, some things happened. One of the things for me that was at the top of the list was this, this uh, baby-faced young right-hander who was a former top pick of the A's named Sonny Gray who makes his debut in Pittsburgh. I remember when the A's were at PNC Park and one of those nights it seemed like Armageddon with the, with the clouds and the weather, and he comes in relief. And uh, this kid really felt like, you know, he belonged. He had a you know some difficulties in childhood, losing his dad and things of that nature. But man, he was quite a quite a competitor, wasn't he?
0: Well, when you have a number, when you're a number one draft choice, you're always on the radar. So people are paying more special attention to a kid like that. He did come up then uh, in Pittsburgh. I remember that. I think the game ended about one thirty, two o'clock in the morning, and we had to fly west. He uh, pitched well. Um, there was always a, a thing about a short pitcher doesn't perform well, and that's a kind of a misconception in baseball. And he proved it. He pitched well for us and uh, had some key games over
1: his career with us. You touched on the Stephen Vogt who joined the club, I think it was in 2013. Here's a guy that spent, you know, he's 25 years old wearing no batting gloves and A ball in the Rays organization. He was old for his Big League career and the little bit of time he had gotten with Tampa Bay. gets his first home run, his first hit is, is a home run off of Joe Kelly uh, at the time. Uh, and he turns out to be such a perfect fit for this club. He's from Visalia. His, you know, his dad, Randy, would come to the games and uh, just a lot of conversation about what the franchise meant to the vote family. And uh, Still a, a very popular player, even though he's long gone and has moved on to different organizations. So Stephen Vogt, he was he was one of those guys with all the superstars that you've seen over the years, Vuce. Uh, but a guy like Stephen Vogt must bring a smile to your face.
0: It does, because I'll never forget, we acquired him right at the end of spring training and I was told he's just going to be back up at AAA, but he's a great guy, and he wins the talent contest, and he's a funny guy. And But you'll never see him in the big leagues, I was told. Well, two All-Star games five years later, uh, Stephen Votes kind of cut out his own niche as a very good player, more than a role player, everyday catcher. So he came up that year with us, and uh, uh, he, as a rookie, he was kind of a leader. People looked up to him, and, and it's not like he spoke... Uh, uh, Latin or anything, he was uh, very intelligent, but uh, uh, a leader that uh, that uh, was as a catcher was a director of the game and uh, performed very well for us. And you can see that someday he's
1: going to make a great manager. So many key games in the history of this franchise where a, a pitcher goes into a situation one on one against a, a star, and uh, we saw that with Sonny in Game Two of the playoffs, again against the Tigers, and going toe to toe against Detroit and just trading punches, if you will, with Justin Verlander, Uh, that was a special night. The the memories of of Sonny Gray competing that night, I remember he told me earlier this year, I wore the Fort Knox gold, it was always my favorite color to wear when I pitched, and it really meant a lot to him, and man, what a night that was.
0: That was a special night. Uh, I've told people the story about, we went back to Detroit, and Balfour was yelling at one of the hitters, and Everybody kind of met around home plate. There was no punches thrown, but both teams were out there. And Chili Davis tells me a story that that uh, Cabrera, Miguel Cabrera, came up and said, hey, where's that great great kid? Where is he at? And Chili kind of pointed him out and thinking, maybe I should follow Cabrera because Sonny's a little guy. Cabrera's a big, strong guy. But Cabrera went up to Sonny and said, hey, man, where do you come from? i never seen you before. You threw a hell of a game. <laughs> So that was like the coming of Sonny Gray. He he got the respect of somebody like Miguel Cabrera, who went on to win a triple crown a couple years
1: later. And the A's were so close. that had a two games to one lead in that series and had the lead late in game four. Then uh, a bobble in center field with Cabrera at the plate. Drives in a couple of runs and the A's couldn't recover because then the series was tied. Comes back here in the 2-2-1 format that you were talking about earlier. And you got to face Verlander again. I mean, the A's have seen enough of this guy. I mean, he really had left an indelible mark on the Oakland Coliseum mound with the things he did against the A's.
0: Yeah, he could be a Hall of Famer just on his stats against the A's for us, for sure. But he's a great pitcher, and great pitchers stand up and, and uh, get counted on for doing great things and games that mean the most. And he did a great job against us. Unfortunately, we couldn't answer, and
1: uh, he was just a little bit better. So the A's back-to-back years, they win the West, but they fall short in the uh, in the playoffs in the division series against the Tigers. Bob Melvin is certainly a, a man that has done an outstanding job for the Athletics uh, as the manager, and again, a team that's expected to do great things in 2014. And kind of, it was a different kind of year because you got off to a good start, and then the A's kind of faltered in the second half, and and a lot of it pivoted around the surprising trade of of Suspitus as the A's got John Lester back from the Boston Red Sox. What, what kind of a day was that like when you see Billy Bean, who's always looking for the for the edge to try to find the key that's gonna unlock this club going deep into October? And that certainly shocked the baseball world.
0: Well, first of all, we'd made the big trade on the 4th of July weekend and getting Jeff Samarja and Hamels. And that kind of helped our pitching staff a little bit, but we were leaking oil even before that. And we had the best record of baseball, probably almost to the All-Star break. But we make the trade and give up uh, Cespedes. You had to get, give up somebody to get somebody, and Lester had a tremendous postseason record at the time. So we get him and Johnny Gomes back in a trade. We lose uh, Cespedes, and he was a key factor, and, and maybe we missed him in the playoffs, I'm sure, a little bit. But we had the wild card game against Kansas City. We had uh, clinched that on our last day of the season in Texas with Sonny Gray pitching a com- uh, complete game, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was important. Another feather in the cap for Sonny. So now we go into Kansas City. Got a day off, work out, and then uh, we've got the wild card game. And we're feeling pretty confident because of Lester's record in uh, postseason. is he has had a good uh, career against Kansas City. And and uh, they kind of ran on us. We had some injuries during the game. Uh, Coco went out late. Catcher went out early. It's, uh, it's like it wasn't meant to be.
1: You know, you think back on, on that and you talk about Samarj and, and uh, Jason Hamill coming over from the Chicago Cubs and then the A's trying to keep things going, the The complete game 4 nothing victory for, for Sonny on the last day at, at a time when they weren't playing the games, the big league games, you know, at the same time because the A's were, the, the Mariners were following along and Felix was pitching that game for Seattle. Once they saw that the A's won, then Felix kind of came out of the game like our season was over in Seattle and the A's had a chance to uh, to get get to the postseason. I think what a lot of people may not remember or choose not to remember is that John Lester, as an A during that season, during those two months, really pitched extremely well for the Athletics. I mean, he, he had an ERA at less than two and a half and did his part, even though the guy that left maybe took the spotlight with him in suspenis.
0: Yeah, uh, it's unfortunate because Lester did help us. He solidified that pitching staff, a veteran presence, a cancer survivor, and that gains you some respect, but led to Wade uh, for the last two months of the season. We felt real confident in the playoffs, but uh, he had a great season for us. We knew he was going to be a free agent. We knew we were probably, weren't probably going to re-sign him, but uh, we counted on him for the uh, last two months. And it was a tough trade to lose. But this, who was still under contract for one more year uh, in a trade for Lester, but we needed him at that time.
1: Four-run lead with, what, four or five outs to get in Kansas City, and Lester's still pitching. And then the the seven stolen bases for the Royals and they come back and they win the game in 12 against the A's you've seen a lot of devastating losses in the postseason Voos, and especially games like this one which meant the end of the season I mean Eckersley's one thing with the home run to the Gibson that was game one of the World Series there's still time to recover but when there's finality to it when you look back on that 2014 playing game with with the Royals uh, that's got to be one that's pretty close to the top of the list in terms of a that level of disappointment.
0: Sure, we're ahead, we're behind, we're back ahead. Brandon Moss with two home runs. Now we go in the eighth inning, they start scoring. We've we'll got a one run lead going to the bottom of the ninth. And Josh Winningham leads off with a bloop double down the right field line. That just set the tone. They ended up tying it up then, and in the next innings, we score. Uh, to go ahead and uh, they come back and score one more and we lose and we're back to Oakland and they're on the way to Anaheim. That was the year that they went to the World Series and lost to the Giants, but uh, we really felt like if we could have won that game, we could have gone right through to the World Series.
1: So as we wrap up this episode, Bruce, I wonder what your thoughts were about where the franchise was at that point, seeing everything that you had seen, all the glory of the early 70s and, and fighting to get back to the postseason in the late 80s and early 90s and then seeing a little bit of a rebirth in the early 2000s but the frustration of not advancing in the postseason. Where do you think the club was at that point and what did it mean that Bob Melvin was at the helm for the team?
0: Well, we knew uh, even if there was a little rebuild, trade some of the veterans and, and go a little bit younger that Bob was the right guy to lead it for us. He, was, he signed on to do whatever uh, position the A's uh, personnel were in. So uh, he was a good leader and, and, a, and a teacher. He's a pretty good teacher, and he had a great coaching staff. We were ready to try to compete the next year. Unfortunately, it didn't do, happen. We weren't that bad.
1: Episode 15 in the books, Vuce. Uh, how, how's it feeling with the with the uh, countdown well underway here in the final few weeks of uh, the regular season of, of 2021? You know,
0: Vince... People keep reminding me, how many games you got left? I'm not counting it down because I'm not walking away on uh, October 3rd. I'm going to be here through the winter and, and work through spring training. So maybe that countdown will happen the last two weeks of next March in Mesa, Arizona. But uh, it is a countdown for regular season. Hopefully we can get uh, our hats on and, and play well the next uh, three weeks and and make a run for the playoffs. We need to. Uh, it's been just spectacular encouraging the last couple three weeks but those things happen we just picked the wrong time to be real high school
1: always appreciate the insight and the stories thank you voos my pleasure memories with voos with steve Vucic. we have it for you every thursday on ace total access on AceCast, and as always the entire interview at athletics.com slash ace this has been a presentation of the oakland athletics